Okay, grab your Bibles. Here we go. 1 Corinthians. I, I think I was told by Aaron that we made it to chapter 3. Does that sound right? Okay, so we need Aaron to come in like once every so often and just get us back on track, right? And make a few verses happen on the deal. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We have got our microphones ready to go. Okay, so if you have a question, raise your hand. It's better if you ask. Um, it keeps things going in the right direction. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As we dig in, as we get ready to go, Paul really goes back to deal with a little bit of an issue that he kind of dealt with in chapter 1. So we're going to go over it fairly quickly, but we're going to make sure we understood it as we go. So here we go. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Brothers, I would not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What do you think he means by that phrase, mere men? Other people who aren't Christians. Okay. So he's, he's saying, he's saying you, you realize you're acting fleshly. You're, you're acting like people who've never been touched by God. You're, you're acting like just ordinary people who've never, ever been changed. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. What do you think he means by the phrase, I planted the seed? Huh? Say it again. He preached. But what did, what did he do when he planted the seed? What does he mean by that? Okay. There you go. Probably shared the gospel. You got to remember, Paul is what we, you and I would probably call the first church planter. And he's going into towns and he's winning as many as he can. He stays for about a year to a year and a half. And then he moves on to the next city to plant the next church. So he's saying, look, you, you know, you're right. I came, I just, I got this thing started. I was like the farmer who went out, planted the seed. I didn't get to see the harvest. I didn't get to see all the fruits of where you were going to grow to in your spiritual life. I just, I got to barely see those seeds start poking up out of the ground spiritually uh, in your lives. I, I was the planter. Apollos watered. What do you think he means by that? That Apollos stayed and taught them further. Okay. Apollos stays and, and is now cultivating them further biblically, further spiritually in their lives. So what's happening, and we talked about this a little bit before, some are going, well, I owe a whole lot to Paul. I mean, Paul's the guy who introduced me to Jesus. So, you know, if you're talking about heroes in my life, Paul's my hero because I wouldn't even be a Christian if it weren't for Paul. You've got other people in the church going, no, 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 no. I'm of Apollos because, you know, Paul may have led us to Jesus, but I have learned so much from Apollos. I mean, I am, I mean, the way I was living and I was so unspiritual by the time Paul left and went on and Apollos is the guy who's really grown me up spiritually. 
So I'm I'm an Apollos follower. And you remember there was another name thrown in. Does anyone remember the name from chapter 1 that was also thrown in? I'm of Apollos. I'm of Apollos. I'm of... Anybody to remember? Cephas, which is another name for Peter. And so they, you know, they were probably, they probably never even met Peter. But they're going, you know, I'm part of the true church. And you know, Peter's the rock that Jesus said he'd build his church on. And so I'm, I'm a little more spiritual than all of you because I'm, I'm owning up to Peter. And then you had some super spiritual Christians that said, well, I'm not of Paul. I'm not of Apollos. I'm, I'm not of Peter. I'm of Jesus, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Jesus. And, and it's, it's, just, it's just getting silly inside of the church. Okay. Verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. By God's grace, God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one of you should be careful how he builds. It's an interesting verse. Paul says, I laid the foundation. Somebody else came and built on it. Who built on it? Apollos. But you get the argument that Paul is using in this moment. He's saying, guys, same building. Same building. And you get that at the end of the day, this was all about the kingdom. And why are you making it about men? And why are you making it about personalities and individuals and who's cooler than the other and and who can grow more facial hair than the other or who wears capris? Why are you doing that? He's saying that that, this is crazy. Matter of fact, he says, as long as you are, you ready? Man worshiping, you are infants in your faith. Because this has never been about the fame of a man. It has always been about the fame of Jesus. And don't you dare, don't you dare, Paul is saying, worship a man. Did I have I told this group? My Wayne story. Does that sound familiar at all? Yes? No? Okay, so I'm going to borrow some again. All right, here we go. I'm 15 years old. I'm pretty messed up about God. My parents are divorced. I'm pretty angry. My attitude is simply this. If God loved me, he wouldn't let my parents get divorced. Deep theology there, but Okay. One day, this guy comes and knocks on my door. He's overweight. He has funny glasses on. He's wearing a leisure suit. Anybody remember leisure suits? Okay. So you know how old I am now because this was, in his mind, cool. And patent leather white shoes. Okay, so I'm just telling you, I'm growing up in the 70s. I'm pretty much kind of the sort of hippie dude and here is leisure suit guy at my door and he's inviting me to church and i i want nothing to do with wayne he he is everything i don't want to have anything to do with and yet there's something compelling about him he's got this incredible personality and i find myself for some dumb reason agreeing to go to church with him 
which began a journey of him becoming my youth pastor, pouring hours and hours and hours in my life and helping me figure out how to forgive my dad and how to get my life back on track with God. I got called to ministry with Wayne. And we wore the seats out at Denny's as we sat there and Wayne would spend hours pouring over scripture with me. By the time I got to Bible college, I was bored in my classes because Wayne had spent so much time in the word of God with me. Years later, I finally gotten into ministry and I'm just kind of cutting my teeth and I get a call. And I say, Lynn, Wayne's in the hospital. Actually, he's in hospice. And I know you haven't seen him in a couple of years, but he's like to talk to you. I go, what's going on? I mean, what's Wayne doing in hospice? And he's got AIDS. And my youth pastor, the guy who'd been my spiritual mentor in life, the guy who I look back and go, I don't even know if I'd be a Christ follower if he hadn't invested in me had gotten sideways with God. He'd gotten angry at God. And it culminated in him becoming a homosexual prostitute. And now he's laying in hospice, dying of AIDS. See, guys, I just, you just need to hear at the end of the day, the validity of this story and whether or not what Jesus said is true has nothing to do with any person in our lives. No matter how spiritual they appear at the time or how deeply they affect us, you and I can't worship a man or a woman because it always is about Jesus. And the men and the women in our lives, many, I hope, hopefully not all, but many will let us down. And in that moment, you and I have got to have our anchor firmly enough in Jesus Christ that we can say, man, I am deeply sad and it grieves my heart, but it does not change one lick of what I believe about my Jesus Christ. It was an interesting thing because I actually got to speak at Wayne's funeral. There were probably 250, 300 of us sitting in that funeral who looked at each other and said, this man had greater spiritual impact on us than any other individual ever. We also knew as we said at that funeral there were probably 250 people not there who would have said, this man was the most devastating man of my life. And I won't go into detail to tell you all the things that he got involved in and all the wounds he made when he was off track from God. But at the end of the day, guys, it is never about a man. It is never about a woman. It is always about Jesus. And if you spend your time worshiping a man or following a man or following a woman, what did Paul just say? You're babies. You're babies in Christ. Okay. Now we get into some good stuff. All right, so verse 11. Paul then goes on and he says, Hey, no one can lay any other foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will be test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping the flames. 
What is he talking about? Okay, so let the, let the microphone get there because then that way they can hear it on the tape. Um, the Bible usually refers to fire as afflictions or problems one, one goes through as a Christian. Yeah. Okay. And the problems make you, when you go through problems, it's like going through fire. You go through a lot of pressure. So if you burn up, if you don't survive, that means that you're done. Okay, I, I absolutely agree with you. I'm not sure that's what he's talking about here. What's he talking about here? What's this whole wood, hay, stubble, precious stones, gold, fire, burning stuff? Isn't he talking about, um, I don't know if it's on Judgment Day or whatever, but afterwards all of our works are put and they're burned and then some will have precious jewels and stuff left and some won't. Okay, so he's talking about Judgment Day? Yes? No? Maybe? How many are scared? Okay, so potentially he's talking about judgment, which is going to appear upon the screen at any given moment. He's talking about judgment day. And as he talks about judgment day, he begins to describe it, and he describes it this way. He says, look, some people's works are going to be like gold, and some are going to be like silver, and some are going to be like precious stones. Some are going to be like wood, and some are going to be like hay, and some are going to be like stubble. And we're going to take all those works and throw them in the fire, and the fire is going to reveal what they really are. Because some of them are going to burn up. And some of them are going to come out actually better. What happens to gold when you put gold in fire and melt it down? You actually refine it. And we'll know on that day what those works were. Let me ask you a question. Literal or figurative? Is this really going to happen or is this just kind of allegorical? Okay, literal, okay. And then some said both. What do we think? Really happening, not really happening? How many are just scared to death to even answer? All right, good, okay. Okay, so we're running the microphone back to you so that everybody can hear, okay? I think it has to do with our heart and our motives. Okay. And that's our test. And that if, it's, if we're acting out of the pureness of our heart, then we're as refined gold. But okay. if we're just acting and it's not really coming from the heart then maybe we're the hay okay all right so let me ask you this is the judgment literal is the judgment going to happen matter of fact doesn't scripture say it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment there is no human being who will not face judgment which is an interesting thing, guys, because I think we live most of our lives as if whatever we do doesn't really ultimately matter much. And if I can get away with it, why not? But doesn't Scripture say that we will be called to give an account for everything? Okay? So the answer at the end of the day is the judgment is literal. Now, here's what I don't know. I don't know if our good works are suddenly going to appear like a golden thing or if they're going to appear like a wooden thing. 
that may be language that Scripture is using to help you and I understand how it works. Does that make sense? But what I do know is the judgment is real and literal, and we all go to judgment. Okay, so we had a question in the back. Is this the judgment seat of Christ? Okay, that's a good question. Is this the judgment seat of Christ? Let's answer it, then let's figure it out. Okay, so let's go back to the passage. Let's read it. And here's what I want you to do as we read it. As best you can understand, based on the judgment, who is being judged at this judgment? Okay, so let's go back and read it again, then you can tell me the answer. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw... What foundation were they building on? Jesus. So these people in this judgment would have said out loud, I'm building on Jesus. I'm a Christ follower. I'm doing this for God. Okay? That's who they would have said that they were doing. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, straw, wood hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's, what's the next word? Work. What's being judged on this judgment? Works. Is salvation being judged in this judgment? How many say no? How many say yes? How many say I'm still not going to raise my hand? Okay, all right. Okay, so it's works. What if he has built, survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved. Okay, so there's, there's no doubt here in this judgment about whether or not someone's going to heaven or going to hell. The judgment, it's already presumed, these people are going to heaven. We're judging the works. We're judging what they did in the name of Jesus Christ. Was it legitimate? Was it illegitimate? Okay? So this judgment is for whom? Christians. Okay? All right, so let's talk a second about how this judgment works. We brought it up. We said it a little bit before. There's different quality of my works. There's different effect for my works. How does that get determined? In other words, here are my possibilities. What I did in the name of the Lord could be gold. It could be gold. It could be silver. It could be precious stones. I have no idea. This thing is smarter than me. We'll try it one more. Gold. Silver. Wood, hay, is stubble the last one? Okay, wood, hay, stubble. All right, so how does it become one of those things? How do, because at the end of the day, let's, let's just stop and think about this for a second. If I'm going to stand in judgment, if you're going to stand in judgment, I don't know about you, but I want lots of gold. Right? I mean, I want, I want everything I did for Jesus to come out gold. I don't want very much wood hay stubble stuff coming out so what determines the difference okay 
aren't they emphasizing the importance of the pureness of, of what you, the word of God? So they're emphasizing how pure you are in your heart and your service to the word of God. Okay. All right. So I, I would agree with you. I think that the purity of my heart is going to determine this. Give, give, me, give me an example. All right. Let's do this. Two people drop a $20 bill in the offering plate. Is it possible for one of them to receive gold for that, for that to be a gold moment? And is it possible for one of those people to be having a hay moment in their life? What's the difference? Heart and motive. Okay? Because one of them could be saying, look, I'm, I'm giving this absolutely surrendering this $20 bill to God and to ministry and so that God's kingdom gets bigger. I don't want control. I, don't, I, I just want God to get blessed. I just want the kingdom to get greater. That would probably be a gold moment, right? What would be, what, what would be a hay moment of dropping that $20 bill in the offering plate? If it was just to... To make to check it off the list so that our pastor will stop bugging us. For... That that might be precious stone at that point, you know. Kind of. Well, it could be a moment where I'm saying, you know what, I want to be sure the person sitting next to me sees my twenty. Everybody else putting fives in, like 20. It could be my wife made me put the 20 in. It could be 20. You put the 20 in, and if you're doing it to make yourself feel good, that's hey. Hmm. Not because you're serving the Lord. Yeah, I think Aaron kind of touched on that on service even on Sunday. If I'm doing service because it makes me feel good, I'm not sure that's a gold moment. Right. What? Here's this one's harder. What would be, what would be a precious stone moment? In other words, it's not gold. It's not silver. It's 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 still something for the kingdom, but it's not what it could be. What would that moment be? Someone who's in a position to actually do more to glorify God's kingdom, but in turn, keeps that money in their pocket instead of giving it to the church and giving it to God. You know, even though they're doing their, doing something is better than doing nothing, but they're still in a position to do more. Okay, so that, that's a great question. So let's, let, let, let's, ask, let's ask that question. Um, let's say, I don't know why we're talking about money tonight, but let's say, let's say, let's say two people tithe. Okay, so they both met the minimum requirement. They both did the minimum scripture did. But let's say one of those people happens to have so much income, so much money going on that tithing is like not even breaking a sweat. I mean, they they've got tons of money, and they choose not to give above the tithe. Is the tithe gold? If the tithe was given from a pure heart. Isn't that a good question? What do you think? 
The, the word says that it's intent of the heart. Okay. So it's, I think it's what your intent is. Okay, so both people were obedient to Scripture. Both people came up to the requirement. One had maybe greater capacity, just chose not to do it. Does that change the tie? Lynn, I don't think they could have a pure heart if their heart was causing them to withhold something that they knew that they could give. If, if they were withholding it, then it, it is a question of heart. Uh, if it was something that um, you know they felt led to do, that their heart was leading them to give more, then they would give more. But if they're withholding it in some way, uh, it is a heart question. Okay. But they gave the tithe. So here's the, quite, here, here's, here's the answer, guys. I don't know. I don't know that there's a right answer. I think this is why the judgment happens. I think we're all going to stand in that moment and we're all going to take what we did and place it in the fire and we're all, we're all going to be, you know, this is the question. You know, hey, I, that person tithed, I tithe, I tithe out of obedience, they tithe out of obedience. I maybe had greater capacity and I chose not to do it, but does it change my original gift. I don't know that. I don't, guys, I, I'm not kidding. I don't know that answer. I think that's why this judgment happens. God's going to decide what does that mean? What did that gift in light of who you were and in light of your heart and in light of your, what does that gift mean? And you and I aren't going to know, I don't think, until we get to this judgment, how some of this plays out. Okay, so some quick questions. I can, another quick question here. I, I thought it didn't matter how much good works you do. You can't do enough good things. I mean, we're all sinners, and so, I mean, that's not... Why is, why is Paul talking to the church of Corinth about this? Because like, didn't we talk about, you know, good people don't go to heaven, ones that believe right. in Jesus Christ, and that's the way of the Father? That's how you get to heaven? Okay, so great question. Okay, so, and... Dead on. Heaven and hell is never determined by good works. It never is. Heaven and hell is determined by one question. What did you believe about Jesus Christ? Period. Period. Okay? And so that's why even in this passage it says, Hey, look, even if a person got to this judgment and everything they had, everything that they had ever done in their life was done out of bad motives and they'd never done it in a pure way, they're still going to heaven. Matter of fact, so let's go back to the passage real quick. And it says, verse 15, If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. In other words, he's saying, look, you're going to get into heaven. You're just ain't going to be taking a whole lot with you. Okay? I mean, salvation's not at issue here. Being a Christian's not at issue here. Why do Christians do good works? Why, why do you and I want to do good works as believers? Because we're called to obedience. I'm called to obedience. To please the heart of God, because we love Him. To please the heart of God. Hey, why, why, not often enough, but why do I on occasion give my wife flowers? Because I love her. Because I am doing, and let me, let me, can I just say this out loud? I'm as guy as guy comes. And if I stop and think about flowers very long, I can talk myself right out of flowers. <laughs> They're going to die in a day or two. 
I'm probably the one that has to carry him to the trash. You know, I, I can talk my, you know, there's not a lot about flowers that makes sense to me as a guy. But here's what I know. There is something about giving my wife flowers, something about the idea that I thought about her and that I went out of my way to pick them out for her and that I brought them. There's something about that that thrills her heart. You just caught on to why Christians do things for Jesus Christ. Because there is something about the children of God doing the works of God that thrill his heart. And what you and I, at the end of the day, have to decide is, how often and how much do I want to tell my Jesus I love him? How big a deal is that to me? The one who saved me for eternity. The one who came and died for me and didn't have... How how often do I want to say I love you? And how big do I want to say it? And when you answer that question, you'll answer why we do good works. Okay? And also, isn't there um, rewards in heaven for your good works as well? Okay, so here's the other part. Here's the, here's the weird part, guys, that I don't, I don't know how to explain this part to us and not have it sound kind of self-serving. And yet, this is exactly what Jesus taught. Jesus said, don't you get... What does he say? He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Remember that? Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So what did Jesus just teach without apology? That when you live for the kingdom, when, when you take and sacrifice and serve and give, when you, you are laying up for yourself, Jesus said, treasures in heaven. Now guys, I don't know exactly how that plays out. I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, you know, do you get to wear a bigger hat than I get to wear? I don't know how that plays out. You know, does it have Boy Scout badges on? I don't know how that plays out. All I know is Jesus said, Jesus said, lay up treasures in heaven. Do this because how you behave on earth changes heaven. And I don't know if that's about honor. I don't know if it's about a big honking thank you from God. I don't know what that is. All I'm telling you is, because of how I'm wired, I don't want to be at the back of that line. I want to be up there going, Jesus, I gave you everything. Man, I served you with every breath I had. I got blisters and I kept going. I served you with all my heart. And I, I just want to be on the starting team. I want to be on the A squad when I get there. I don't want to get there and Jesus go, dude, I mean, you served me one weekend? It's just not the conversation I want to have. When you're in love with someone, you want to do everything for them, just like you were talking about with the flowers. And guys, we all have our part of the body, and the hand cannot do what the foot's doing. So if the foot's not there, the hand's in trouble. You guys can all serve exactly where you're at, no matter where you are in your life. And it's not about even, I don't even know anybody that really thinks of what, what am I going to get for doing this. When you're in love with someone, you're in love with them. You want to do everything with a passion. And it's the coolest thing. So serve him with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, no matter where you're at in your life. And there's your reward. It's just awesome. You're just blessing the socks off of so many. There is a passage in Scripture, and and honestly, guys, I don't know how this totally plays out. There's a passage in Scripture that says 
there's a moment in heaven when we take everything we've done, we take all this gold, all this silver, all this precious stone, and we lay it at the feet of Jesus. Because what we're saying in that moment is, look, I didn't do it for the reward, I did it for you. And I'm just going to be honest with you guys, I want that to be a pretty darn big pile that I lay down. I just do. And I really believe that every Christian ought to want to lay down a big pile at the feet of Jesus and say, I did this for you. Not for bragging rights, not for pride. I was a sold out, rip fire, no hold bars follower of Jesus. And I did it all for you. I don't want to be standing there going, I just have no desire to hand Jesus some little leftover in my life. Okay? All right. So, we said that if I do it with a pure heart, what else would maybe... Let's go back. I'm not trying to preach money tonight. We're just using it because it's a simple illustration. Same $20. One person drops in $20, does it with a pure heart. The other person drops in $20, does it with a pure heart. Is there something else about dropping that $20 in that could change whether it's gold, silver, or precious stone? What it costs the person. See, there may be some guys who, with an, or some gals with an absolutely pure heart drop that 20 in. I mean, they absolutely said, Jesus, this is for you. It's for your kingdom. Pure heart. But it didn't cost them much. And that $20, that $20 may become from someone who says, man, my life is changed by giving that $20. I'm not sure how I pay my bills once I give that $20. You've heard me say this out loud before. And I, it's really weird because I say it and I can tell even as I, as I talk to the, you know, in the church that a bunch of people go, huh. But I'm just going to say it again in this room. If you get me down to my last 20 bucks and I've got to decide between tithing or not paying a bill, I'm, that's, that's not even a decision, guys. Because at the end of the day, if I have to disappoint Jesus or if I have to disappoint Visa, I'll disappoint Visa every day of the week. I'm not going to disappoint Jesus. And there is no bill that I have that has a higher priority than my God. And, and, and any time a Christian comes to me and says, Lynn, 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 I can't possibly give because I have too many bills. I go, what? Let Target be mad. I don't care. Let them write you as many letters as they want to write. I just don't want Jesus writing me any letters. You know what I mean? If I have to choose between Target and God, I, is that even a choice? And I don't care if it's sacrificial. I don't, I don't care. All right, where are we at on time? Okay, we got about four minutes. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Here's, I'm going to ask this question. If it has any intrigue for you, we'll come back next week and we'll unpack it. All right. So, this, we just said, and someone asked, hey, is this the judgment seat of Christ? Anybody happen to know that answer off the top of your head? It's a good theological term, blah, blah, blah. Anyone know? The answer is yes. Okay. So here's, here's the follow-up question of that. When does this judgment happen? When does this judgment of Christians happen? Well, it must happen after judged 
After God judges who's in the book of the Lamb? That's interesting. And the answer is no. Isn't that interesting? You would think you would have already decided who's going to heaven and who's going to hell, and then this is like judgment number two. It's not. That judgment hasn't happened yet. Anybody know when this judgment happens? Huh? After the rapture. So, is that what you're going to say? Yes, okay. So here's the deal. I just want to say it out loud. And if it's interesting, we'll come back and unpack it. You and I know that right now you and I live in the church age. Okay? This, this thing called the church is absolutely unique and unusual. It only happens because the Jews reject Jesus. If you read Scripture in Matthew, and when Jesus is here, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he keeps saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember that phrase? You get to the middle of the book of Matthew, you get to Matthew chapter 12, and Jesus presents himself to the leaders of the temple. And the leaders of the temple say to Jesus, you're not the son of God, you're of Beelzebub. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Be careful what you're about to say. Because the works I've done, I've done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're about to, remember the phrase, blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And all other sins will be forgiven a man, but... This one won't. Be careful what you're about to do. So think about the one. You have, you have the leaders of Israel looking Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the eyes, seeing the works of the Holy Spirit, and telling him he's of Satan. And I believe knowing better. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. What you're about to do is you're about to pronounce me not from God. Be careful what you're about to do. Here's the interesting thing that happens in the book of Matthew, and I'll challenge you to go home and read it because I think you'll just go, wow. Starting after chapter 12, starting after that moment, Jesus never again says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first 12 chapters, he was saying, if you'll take me as Messiah, if you'll accept me as Savior, we can do this. The kingdom of God is at hand. And I don't know what happens with the cross. He would have found some other, whatever it is, to take care of sin. It would have had to involve him dying, but he would have taken, it wouldn't have been the cross. It would have been something different. He said, we'll do this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Starting chapter 13, Jesus begins to say, the Son of God has got to die. The Son of Man is going to the cross. After chapter 13. And all of a sudden he begins to talk about this incredible thing called the church. Because for the first 12 chapters, he offered the kingdom. They could have had it. And when they rejected, he then said, okay, so we're going to do the church. So this thing called the church that you and I are in is an amazing thing. It's a unique, incredible, wonderful thing that God brought in. The church ends with the rapture. And all the rapture is, is God taking the church out of the world. And the church is gone. And if the church is gone, guess who's left? Unsaved. Okay. And most specifically, Israel. For the seven-year trip. That's why when you read the book of Revelation, guess who the book of Revelation talks about from chapter 4 all the way to the end? Not the church. It talks about Israel. And the tribulation is all about Israel coming to God. Okay? So here's the thing. You and I get to go to heaven. There's a wonderful thing called, anybody know? The marriage supper of the Lamb. And who is the bride of the Lamb? The church. So guess what the bride does to get ready for the wedding? She cleanses herself. 
she has judgment. And this judgment in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is what we call the Bema Seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. You and I do this judgment in heaven during the tribulation because at the end of the tribulation is what event? What closes the tribulation? What is it? Armageddon. And at Armageddon, what's, what culminates the battle? Second coming. And guess who comes with Jesus in the second coming? The bride. The bride. Adorned in all her glory. Well, guess when she got adorned? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Judgment seat to Christ. Okay? The judgment, the judgment for everybody else is going to happen a thousand years later at a thing called the white throne. Does this intrigue anybody or just bored out of your heads? Okay, three people like it? Okay, all right, so maybe we'll, all right, we won't worry about it next week then if only three people like it. Okay, all right, let's go ahead and we'll close in prayer. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for scripture. And God, maybe if we got nothing else tonight, we became just that much more conscious of the fact that we're not just marking time here on earth. This isn't just about getting to retirement and the next report card. Everything we do has meaning. Everything we do reflects on our love for you, our sacrifice for you. And that one day, one day it actually shows up. I mean, one day we stand in front of you and our lives are, in essence, placed in the fire. And it's tried to find out, did, did we truly serve you? Did we do this with all of our heart? Did we do it with pure motives? Did we, or did we just bide time here on earth? Was it all about me and the next car and the next house I would buy? And how much of my life comes out of that fire because it glorified you? And how much of my life just burns up because it glorified me. God, help us to live. Help us to live with eternity. Dead center in our eyes. And we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, we'll see you Sunday.